It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Jennifer Ryan, standing in for Connor and Sirica. Today, we take a look at the government's climate action plan and ask, does it go far enough and can it achieve the goals it sets out? With a price tag of one and a quarter billion euro, the government's highly anticipated climate action plan doesn't come cheap. Published as world leaders meet for COP26, the document contains a long list of measures that must be taken if Ireland is to radically reduce emissions for the rest of the decade. Among them, an increase in renewable electricity to 80% by 2030, a loan scheme for the retrofitting of homes, and increasing the number of electric vehicles on our roads to around a million within the next nine years. Irish Times political correspondent Jennifer Bray has read the plan from cover to cover. Jennifer, it's been an onslaught of climate change related news in the last while. There was the announcement of our carbon budget on Monday. We signed up to a deal on methane in Glasgow on Wednesday. And now we have the publication of the government's climate action plan. What's in the plan? How many different things has the government said it will do? Yeah, well, we'll be waiting a good long while now for this plan. It's been kind of, um, you know, mooted all summer long. Uh, you know, obviously we had that report over the summer um, in relation to the impact of climate change, which really caught everybody's attention. And from then onwards, the government had promised that it would release this really quite sweeping plan. And in fairness, you know, with credit where it's due, it is quite detailed. So, you know, overall, it's 125 billion euro and it goes across all of the areas that you would expect from homes to electricity, agriculture, land use, all of the different sectors and all of the different areas that we need to to get to those goals that we have uh, for 2030 and 2050. And I think, you know, one of the things that people will be looking for from this report or will be wondering about probably will be, how does it impact me? What can I do to contribute to this? But also, you know, what will it cost? Um, So, you know, one of the, the things that stood out to me was in relation to residential uh, homes and in relation to energy in that way. And I think one of the cornerstones of the plan will be this idea of retrofitting our homes. So the plan has always been to retrofit uh, 500,000 homes over the next decade. And what we see now is the question being asked and, and you know, somewhat answered, how can we do this? So the plan seems to be uh, that there will be a new low cost loan scheme that will be offered to homes and um, which will be worked out in tandem with the EU over the coming months. And also there has been in the report the suggestion that there could be new tax incentives also on the cards. Um, I think what would be important to say is that in the report, there's a really interesting 
paragraph about the scale of the challenge. And it warns that hundreds of thousands of homeowners will have to make the decision to invest in upgrading their property, basically. And, you know, it gave these figures, which I think might be useful to read out. It said that we will need to deliver as a country around 75,000 B2 equivalent home upgrades every year to get to our target. And, you know, it looked at the housing stock at the moment and it found that almost half of the existing housing stock has an energy rating of D1 or worse and only 10% have an energy rating of B2 or better. And I think that really highlights the scale of the challenge ahead. So what they're looking at is finance options, low cost loans and like I said, those tax incentives. What does the plan say about transport? Because there are some pretty ambitious targets for electric vehicles, for example. Yeah, so they want to increase the number of electric vehicles to around 1 million by 2030. You know, that's that's a really staggering number. It's a very high number. But I think uh, on, on the flip side, what they found is that actually the orders that they're getting next year and the year after um, for electric cars uh, have significantly increased. So I think they will be optimistic enough around achieving that, I suppose, the bigger area as well, other than just electric cars, will be the, the wider area of transport. And transport is so important because that is 20% of our, our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so it's really one of the, you know, along with agriculture, is one of the, the biggest areas. Um, and the plan has a number of different elements to it. So what they want to do is they have this target figure of a half a million, 500,000, and what they call daily sustainable travel journeys by 2030. And that those will be delivered through bus connects and other plans that they have in line. Also that that will be through expanded rail services and cycling and walking infrastructure. We've seen a bit of that announced over the summer. Um, they want to increase the use of biofuels and transport. And a big part of it will be the electrification of bus and rail fleets. So they want, I think, I think the figure is 1,500 electric buses by 2030. 30. So that's kind of the headline figures and the headline part of the transport section. Um, really, really critical that they actually do reach those goals, because if they don't, then we're going to fall short, obviously, of our overall targets for 2030 and 2050, which are already proving challenging enough as it is. A lot of what's in this plan has been flagged well in advance, but were there any surprises? I didn't see anything that really, you know, blew me away. Nothing. I didn't see anything that I thought, God, I've never heard or seen that before. But what I did find interesting was the fact that there is a bit of flesh on the bones now. You know, previously it was just this idea of we all have to, because obviously our homes, like I said, are, are such a, a major part of this, that we all have to upgrade our homes and get it up to a B2 standard. But what this plan, it actually does commit to creating pathways for us to actually do that. And that's the most important thing, because you can talk about climate change and you can have all the ideals you like, but if you have no idea about how you're going to do it or how that's going to be feasible for you, then it's pie in the sky. So you know, the fact that they have these discussions underway at the moment, uh, they say, uh, with uh, Europe in relation to creating this new low cost loan scheme. Um, now, of course, you'll still need private finance. But if you can, you know, if you can pay that back at a really low cost over a long period of time, that obviously makes it much more tangible, much more realistic for home. So the fact that we can see a bit of detail around that is very welcome. Um, they're very woolly in relation to this idea of a tax incentive. There's not really much detail on it, except that they said they would examine how that would work over the course of this plan, which could be any time between now and the end of, you know, nine years. But it's still interesting to see that that's where their their thinking is. I think, you know, it, it might not be necessarily that there is one really standout part of the plan that, 
you look at it and say, God, that's completely new and this is this is going to change everything. It's the fact that it is clearly a very long document. It has clearly been thought through at length. Um, it expands significantly on what the last climate plan provided for. And it's going much, much further because we have to go much further. So there's nothing that really made me think that's completely new. But definitely, I think the, the detail is really, really welcome. And I actually think that it will take a couple of days to drill down into it properly and for people to to have a read. And I would actually encourage people to read it because most reports that we see from government and different departments, they're so, some of them are just really inaccessible and hard to understand. And this is coming from me who listen to people talking a different jargon or whatever. This one actually is quite clear and it's actually really interesting as well. So, you know, I would, I would recommend it if anybody had an interest to have a read of it. In terms of how much money the government says it needs to spend to make all this a reality, how big is this? Can you compare it to anything? What they're estimating, and it is an estimate, is 125 billion, which is a lot of money, obviously. Um, but I thought it was interesting in the report when they were talking about the cost of it, you know, 125 billion. And I, I know that there was a lot of aggro behind the scenes politically about this figure because I think there were elements uh, in the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform and Department of Finance who saw this figure and thought, oh my God, 125 billion. Where did this figure come from? But it was interesting in the report that they say, yes, it's 125 billion, but we actually, we don't really fully know what we're getting back from that, you know. So what we're actually saving in terms of money that we make uh, from having a more efficient country, effectively. So we don't know the full scale of that, whether it will be 125 billion at the end, but that's that's the figure that they have. And if you're wondering like what it could be comparable to, it's, uh, I think my colleague Cormac McQuinn pointed out, you know, it's two bank bailouts or four 32 billion euro pandemics. I don't think anybody wants another three pandemics, but that's the scale of it. I mean, it is vast, um, but the, the facts are the facts. If we don't address it and we don't spend the money on it, we will spend bigger, longer term in other ways. And people will be used to hearing about government plans being launched and then not really hearing anything about them anymore. And sometimes they're quietly shelved. How do we know that the government is going to implement this plan? Well, it's like anything. It's like any government plan. You don't really. Uh, you know, some government plans get launched and they get lashed on the shelf and they gather dust forever and ever until someone spots them and go, oh my God, remember that. That genuinely does happen. <laughs> but this one, I think, is different potentially, potentially because it's so important for the Green Party to get this right. They need to show that this is the reason why they came into government. This is the change that they will have brought about. They're not just going to become another small party that gets eaten up by the bigger parties and spat out, forgotten about, and then has to either die or resurrect themselves years later. This is their whole reason for being. So I think that shows in the detail that's in the report, what will matter will be the delivery of it. But because it's such a long term plan, you would wonder what would happen if there is a new government and let's say it's a Sinn Féin government, and um, if the polls continue as, as they are, will they shelve this plan or will they continue it? Like, it, there are so many questions in relation to how that will be implemented. But I think that the imperative is there and what they could do is, is aim to do a bit better, maybe, is make sure that they have a broad all-party consensus so that it does get delivered. The government faces the prospect of a large protest over its climate plan after the Irish Farmers Association told members and their families to gather in the capital on November 21st. These kinds of protests are likely to be a taste of things to come. How difficult is this going to be politically? Yeah, it's going to be very difficult politically. And I think actually the agriculture section of the document is interesting because while we would have expected to see maybe some more nailed down figures about the next year, 
we haven't. And we know that a lot of our emissions plans will be backdated towards the end of the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, that we don't have the infrastructure in place to make that happen in the next year, but also because there, there is a huge amount of political pressure. Rural TDs are getting it in the neck. That's what they say. And they're they're bringing that through to government and saying, you know, we've seen this debate recently about the national herd and reducing the, the national herd and and all of the, the trickiness around that. Because what rural TDs say is that if you do this and if you go down this road where you slash emissions, it could cost hundreds of thousands of jobs. Um, so, you know, their concerns are very, very real. But agriculture is, I think it's 37 percent or was 37 percent of all the national emissions in 2020. So they have to really grab, for want of a better phrase, the bull by the horns. And, you know, when I went through the different details of agriculture in the plan, I thought the uh, language was interesting in relation to the dairy herd. It said that they would manage emissions from the dairy herd and transform the model of beef production. I found that quite vague. Now, there could be sections down further in the report that I haven't got to yet, where it goes into great granular detail around that. But I think that will be an area of political um, controversy, definitely, especially when we get past the next year. Jennifer Bray, thanks for speaking to us. Thanks. Coming up, environmental scientist Dr Hannah Daly and what's needed to meet the targets set out in the Climate Action Plan. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. At COP26 in Glasgow this week, world leaders agreed to a 30% cut in methane, a harmful greenhouse gas, by 2030. As has already been stated, it's one of the most potent greenhouse gases there is. It amounts to about half, half the warming we're experiencing today. Ireland signed up too, and our involvement was initially greeted with some surprise because of what it could mean for our agriculture industry, where most Irish methane emissions come from. But back in the Doyle, it was quickly clarified. We would not be cutting methane by 30% after all. The episode hinted at a familiar gap between climate pledges and climate reality. We're happy to sign up to global targets for 30% cuts in, in methane by 2030, which is absolutely the minimum that is necessary. But then to literally turn around the next day and say to agribusiness in this country, oh no, don't worry, we don't mean you, we're only going to do 10%. Unfortunately, I wasn't surprised because I, I know that the I suppose the narrative around agriculture has been to sort of stick firm to the model of kind of growth in the food production, which was encapsulated in the agri-food vision document that was published this year. And that document itself had a target of a 10% reduction of, of methane emissions. Dr. Hannah Daly is a lecturer in sustainable energy at University College Cork. 
So historically, all of our methane emissions to date have, have increased the concentration of natural methane emissions in the atmosphere by two and a half times above pre-industrial levels and have caused about half a degree of global warming already. So it's really essential to get methane emissions down. And there's a great potential for methane emissions. If we reduce emissions of methane a lot, it can actually reverse a lot of that historical warming. And the IPCC considers that as being essential to meeting the kind of global goals. So the global goal in this methane pledge is to reduce methane emissions by 30% by 2030, and then to hopefully then to have methane emissions by, by 2050. The narrative from the leadership here is that the 30% target should be mainly met by fossil fuel methane emissions. And there are, I suppose, a lot of technical abatement measures, you know, will reduce fossil fuel uh, consumption anyway, hopefully. And there are ways of, of, I suppose, capping the methane emissions that come from fossil fuel extraction. But in Ireland, we are one of the world's highest per capita emitters of methane emissions because of our you know large number of cows um that produce you know beef and dairy and also sheep actually and methane is methane really even though it comes from natural sources there's no real significant difference between the warming impact of methane from fossil and biogenic sources um so the question is you know is first of all is 10% methane emissions enough to kind of fit in with our global obligations uh, and also, is it enough to meet our national uh, target? Because our, our, our national target is, is to have overall emissions. And if methane emissions only fall by, by 10%, then the rest of society has to f- reduce emissions by about 65%, which is a huge ask, you know. And there's a big missed opportunity as well to kind of reverse a lot of our historical warming impact. So you've had a first look at this climate action plan and not surprisingly, there is a big section devoted to agriculture. What does it say about methane emissions and do the measures go far enough? So there's no actual explicit target for methane emissions in the Climate Action Plan, as far as I've read anyway. There's there's a target to reduce overall emissions from the agriculture sector by between 22 and 30 percent. And it's spelled out what it would take to achieve different levels of abatement. Now, modelling from Chagask that supported the Climate Change Advisory Council's carbon budgets suggested that sort of efficiency measures, basically better farming practices, uh, improved animal health, reducing uh, nitrogen use, chemical fertilisers and so on, can get agriculture to about 18% reduction in emissions considering the growth in in production that's projected. So it it kind of stands to reason that anything above 18% does require a change in production. That's not spelled out explicitly in the Climate Action Plan, but it is a further measure which is to be explored for the next Climate Action Plan is to to give opportunities to farmers basically to consider diversifying their income streams. And what that is, is basically producing bioenergy, forestry, renewable energy and, and, and possibly diversifying into other types of food. But, but that, has to be, that has to be a plan that's really produced by the sector itself. Does the plan have anything to say about changing our individual behaviour in terms of the food that we eat as a means of reducing emissions? Not that I've seen. And I suppose that, that reflects how emissions are, are accounted for. Like, emissions are accounted for the place that they're emitted. So from the tailpipe of a car, or smokestack of, a, of power generation, or from a belching cow. So for agriculture, emissions of food are, are accounted from where they are they're emitted. And this is a sort of a, a big gripe of our agriculture sector because oil emissions don't get accounted for in Saudi Arabia. But let's say that the, the beef and dairy emissions do get accounted for in Ireland. And that's just a reality of, of how our kind of global emissions accounting scheme is done. And also in Ireland, we, we export 90% of the beef and dairy that we do produce. And, and so we, we don't tend to focus on diet. 
One of the measures is looking at food waste. So it is to have food waste by 2030. And that's welcome because the waste of food causes methane emissions, which is a significant emitter. Um, But it doesn't talk about changing diets. You'll have seen in the UK's net zero strategy, targeting canteens and in public institutions to have more plant forward diets, to have carbon labelling and things like that. And so it is a big thing that's missing. But I'm not sure if we're kind of ready as a society to tackle this, you know. The reality is is that we can specialise in producing lamb and dairy, especially which have a high carbon footprint. Now, we of the beef and dairy that we produce, we produce it relatively carbon efficiently, but they still, you know, compared with, say, you know, 10 grams of protein from chicken or peas, uh, you know, nuts, the, the food that we produce has a much, much bigger carbon footprint. But if, if individuals, I suppose, shift their behaviour, that's not necessarily accounted for in our um, our agriculture emissions and our, and our policy. So it is, it's, it's a tough nut to crack, should we say. And there are huge targets around energy creation. We're committing to 80% of our electricity coming from renewable sources by 2030. Is that achievable? Well, you know, in the context of COVID, I mean, anything is achievable uh, if we put our mind to it. Achievability is, is a matter of how much we're willing to put effort into these things. Uh, I mean, we have huge know-how in Ireland about about wind and grids. We're already integrating 40% of uh, renewables into our a relatively small grid, which is really world-leading. We're top class in renewable electricity, but we'll need to be even much better than this. In a, in a short space of time, we'll need to double the share of renewables on the electricity grid, while also growing the absolute amount of electricity generation. That's going to be a huge ask. And and actually starting the offshore wind industry as soon as possible is going to be key to this. Now, we heard this morning that, you know, Equinor are pulling out of a big offshore wind plan. And part of that is because our licensing and planning system is taking far too long uh, for projects to get off the ground. Um, and, and once the sort of legislation on that is through, hopefully that will unlock a, a huge upskill in that industry because that will be really key to decarbonising. The thing about electricity is that it's only about 14% of our emissions right now. Scaling up low carbon electricity is the main way that we'll decarbonize heat and transport. You know, so we need to get off fossil fuels. And the, the, the best solution for most heat and transport is electricity. So electric cars, heat pumps and so on. And you mentioned uh, electric vehicles there. There are huge targets for electric vehicles. The plan says we'll have 945,000 electric vehicles on the road by 2030. Right now, it's somewhere around 40,000. What do you think of that target? I'm not as pessimistic about the EV target as I used to be. We're we're basically seeing a doubling of EV sales every year. The number of models coming on is staggering. They're amazing cars. They've got a, a very long range that you can cross the country and back in some of them. I mean, if you're going east to west. <laughs> and they're, they're just fantastic cars. And I think people will grab them as, as quickly as possible. So with that doubling of sales every year, you get to full kind of sales uh, quite quickly. And then there's also a range of new targets looking at freight vehicles. So, you know, more electric vans and even uh, heavy goods vehicles to be electrified by 2030. And th- those are really nice, interesting stretch targets. But I think the thing for transport is a shift away from focusing just on sort of technology switches and fuel switches um, to looking at how we, you know, how we travel. Basically, we have a very car centric society. You know, the number of cars on the road has tripled since 1990. Loads of our public space in towns and cities is devoted to cars. It's not safe to cycle. You know, kids can't walk or cycle to school because simply there aren't footpaths in a lot of cases, you know. So I think the new plan basically is is really focusing on switching as many passenger kind of kilometres and, and, and passenger trips as possible into these more sustainable modes. You know, we, we'll want to focus EV driving in, you know, interurban or rural driving 
And, you know, we really want to get cars out of our towns and cities. Uh, and, and that's really what will make a big difference. Overall, has the government wrapped its arms around the problem with this plan? Does it go far enough? Have the tough decisions been taken with this plan or are they still to come? Well, in some ways, this is a really revolutionary plan. You know, it, if, if you add up the, the savings which have been detailed, they add up to something between 40 to 50 percent of emissions uh, reductions by, by 2030. You know, that is really huge. But the specific measures don't actually even add up to the 51 percent because there are these additional measures that we haven't grappled with yet, basically, that will take some time for technologies to evolve or for society to get on board. There's four specific kind of further measures detailed in the plan. That is a further improvements in, in the sustainability of agriculture. And that, I think, is basically more diversification of agriculture away from beef and dairy. Another uh, further measure would be more radical demand shifts across society. So more kind of shifts in how we consume, uh, a focus on re reducing our consumption of, of things, of reducing heating, I suppose, wearing woolly jumpers, you know, <laughs> um, and what Walking, cycling, taking public transport where possible, and then more sort of breakthrough technologies, whether uh, we can have carbon capture and storage um, on cement production and power generation, and whether we can make these new kind of low carbon gases like hydrogen or biomethane. And those kind of four further measures, a, a selection of those things will be needed to achieve the full 51% target and the carbon budgets. But it's not until the 2022 Climate Action Plan when those really have to be nailed down. So I suppose what this plan is it's a huge landmark in, in sort of setting the expectation but it doesn't land yet on the exact measures that will reach all the savings needed that's it for today thanks to dr hannah daly and jennifer bray in the news we'll be back on monday ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 